A little advice. A little advice. Come on, come on, come on, yeah. Just a little advice. Just a little advice with Christine Little. Check it out. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Little Advice Podcast, a podcast where I, comedian Christine Little, gives a little advice to one of my guests. This is episode number 31 with a very impressive guest. Uh, her name is Marissa Schwartz. She's uh, a writer, an entrepreneur, a Guinness World Record holder, and she owns Dr. Rissy's Writing and Marketing. This chick is so impressive. She's in her early 20s, and she wrote like two books while she was in high school, and then she started her own publishing company. And if you want to feel lazy, she's a really great person to listen to. She talks to me about her struggles transitioning from being a freelancer to delegating to a team. So I give her some advice on that. Podcast related, if you want to talk more about the episodes, please head over to Facebook and join the Little Advice Podcast group or feel free to direct message me on Instagram. I am at the X-Teen Little. If you like this episode, please rate, sub, review, and share if you know anyone who could benefit from listening to this. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. And without further ado, here's episode number 31 with Marisha Schwartz. Thank you so much for listening to A Little Advice. With Marissa Schwartz. Hello, Marissa. Hello, how are you, Christine? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Awesome. And you're coming to us all the way from New New Jersey, right? I said that yes. right. You all did right. say that correctly. Very few people do, but that is the <laughs> correct enunciation. <laughs> you're funny. So, Marissa, <laughs> tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do. Uh, well, I am in the sixth generation of my family to live in New Jersey, and a lot of people uh, are like, why? Uh, I like it. I like our diners. Um, but <laughs> I, um, I'm somebody who is kind of a natural-born entrepreneur. I started selling stuff on eBay when I was eight. I would sell uh, Mighty Beans and... Um, you know, those little, the little toys with the magnets in them, they have little faces on them. So I started selling those because I wanted to get more money beans, so I would sell the old ones for new ones. And that experience, as weird as it sounds, got me into really enjoying doing work and, and business and, and things online like that. Because uh, I grew up with my parents' mom and pop carpet shop, so I guess I always had that kind of uh, knowledge of what it's like to be in a family business or in a small business. And uh, I wanted to start my own, so... Uh, in college, a week after I graduated, actually, I started a book publishing company that is still going. Uh, it's Gen Z Publishing, and um, we do different book events. We pu we've published about 70 books in the past three years. Uh, and then I started my marketing company, Dr. Rissy's uh, Writing and Marketing. And it's just awesome. I love being able to work from anywhere. Um, before we, we actually started uh, on, on the, the show, Christine and I were talking briefly, and she's like, are you outside? Because I work outside when the weather's nice, because in Jersey, it's pretty rare to have a nice weather day. So when we do, I take advantage of it. Um, <laughs> uh, so I currently am completing my doctorate in literature at Drew University. That's another little aside. And then some just weird factoids that people usually go, wait, what? Because they read in my bio, um, I broke a Guinness World Record. I broke the world record for breaking the world's longest chain of bracelets. Um, so that's just a weird fact. And, for, uh, yeah. for breaking <laughs> the longest chain or ma making the longest chain of bracelets? Oh, 
Yeah, so I broke the record for making, yeah, I think I said breaking, for making the world's longest chain of bracelets. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's totally different. I thought you, like, there was a long <laughs> chain of bracelets, and then you broke it. You're like, take that. <laughs> I was like, wow, this girl's gangster. <laughs> oh, my God, Marissa, listening to you, I feel like such a lazy piece of crap. So if that was your uh, goal, uh, congratulations. Wow, I'm amazed. So eight years old, you're on eBay selling stuff. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny because I have that was why I had my first PayPal. So a lot of my team, I pay them through PayPal, and they're like, "How do you use PayPal?" And I'm like, "I'm sorry, it's second nature. I've been using since I was like eight years old. I don't realize. Like, wait, you didn't have a PayPal when you were a kid? What? That's so weird. So funny. It's like a generation. <laughs> well, you're Generation Z, right? So you're you're a little younger than me barely i'm sure but yeah i didn't grow up with a paypal account but i definitely still use paypal what made you get into the to the publishing then in college yeah so in college i had a, a well actually i'll back up even further in high school i self published a book and it was about entering contests like world record contests and stuff um so i, I wrote that book and i self published it and you know people don't really make that big of a deal because they're like oh you self published anybody could do that and i'm like gosh darn i thought people would like be oh wow you're an author that's so cool like i couldn't get into barnes noble i couldn't do any of the things i really wanted to do because it was self-published so i came up with a goal for myself i wanted to have a book traditionally published so i did that i got it traditionally published traditional publishing is one heck of a headache um so i had the book traditionally published in college got to do the barnes noble readings and all that but realized, man, traditional publishing kind of stinks. Like there are so many issues with uh, query letters and them just treating you poorly because, you know, you're not unless you're Stephen King or Kim Kardashian. Uh, traditional publishers really don't treat their authors very nicely. So I wanted to create my own book publishing company where we would treat our authors nicely and also where we would publish by authors who weren't Stephen King or Kim Kardashian, like new authors with something innovative to say. Like I love and I loved indie movies and indie music. I always think that there's some like there's a lot of refreshing aspects to them there. They have fresh takes. Um, and you know, I, I thought we could do that with books, like have, have an independent book publisher and a lot of independent book publishers though, they're what are called vanity publishers where they charge their authors to publish their books. Mm -hmm. And that's not cool either. So I, you know, I, I made this just, it's like traditional publishing where we don't charge our, our authors. In fact, we pay for their stuff like cover creation, editing and all that. So, um, it's just uh, the whole thing of having the authors in mind. Dude, that's so badass. You're an <laughs> indie publishing place. So you saw a problem and you were like, okay, well, I can do it better. I'm going to go out and, and make something myself. Yeah. So I, I really, really admire that. So how can people like, so how do you find your authors? Do they just submit and you guys go through a process with them or? Yeah, that's how we do it now. When I started out, though, like nobody knew what Gen Z Publishing was. It was literally a company that I started in my parents' basement. So like and I had no marketing budget. I went to the bank and said, like, hey, can I get a loan? They were like, no, you're a teenager. Get out of here. Wow. Um, <laughs> so I said, all right, well, I need to figure out a way to promote us without having any budget whatsoever. And I had social media at my disposal. So I used Twitter to find authors who are, uh, posting with the hashtag am writing and different hashtags like that. And just kind of said, Hey, I'm starting something new. If you're interested in submitting a manuscript, reach out. And a lot of them did. It was really cool. So that was how we got maybe our first 20 authors just from me going on Instagram and Twitter and reaching out to authors 
authors who were like trying to get published or who I saw, you know, had like a blog or something and saying, Hey, you should submit your whole manuscript to us. And that's, yeah, that was, and now, now people pretty much find us, uh, through query letters, word of mouth and events. Jeez Louise, man. I wouldn't even know in high school. I wouldn't even think to, to take on a venture that huge. And then to just troubleshoot it or even know to go to a bank to ask for a loan. So do you think having your parents as um, business owners helped or? Like- yeah. Yeah. My, my father actually um, was the one who recommended, he said, I don't think they're going to go for it, but try it. What's the worst that can happen? And the worst that could happen happened. They said like, literally it was like a two minute meeting. Uh, I, I made a whole <laughs> business plan, everything else. I was really excited. I had in the binder. I'm like, this is going to be great. And the woman was like, well, the, like she asked three questions and they were just basically about my credit history and things like that. Like I had never had a credit card or anything. Right. And it was just pretty much like, ah, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do for you. So, um, but yeah, that was how I came up with that. And that was how I knew to make a business plan. My father said, make a business plan. And I said, what is that? And he said, Google it. So I Googled Googled it, figured it out. And, um, then he, he recommended contacting the small business association and, uh, the women's small business association. So I got in touch with them, got a coach and yeah. Wow. I am super impressed. So, um, and going into what your, your problem is, um, I don't know if I'll be able to help you. It sounds like Google can really um, do it for you, but <laughs> l- let's let's take a shot. What, what's your problem? So my problem is, well, I was creating that the book publishing company. I was also doing freelance work on the side because the book publishing it's it's always been um, something of a passion project. It's not something that could supplement a full time job. So I started doing freelance work while in high school. Uh, I started out freelance editing people's work, uh, you know, articles, things like that. Then I got into running people's social media. And uh, before I knew it, by the time I was in college, I was having a lot more clients than I could support. And a lot of people, when they get to that point, they say like, oh, man, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to start turning down clients now because I I don't have enough hands. I can't do all this work for them. But I didn't want to do that. Like if somebody's coming to me to help them in their business, I don't want to turn them down. So I said, "Okay, I personally can't do all these things. But if I had a team, if I had an assistant, I could help them. So I brought on an assistant and the assistant had a different skill set than me. So she knew Pinterest. I knew nothing about Pinterest. She knew a lot more about Instagram hashtags than me. She knew about SEO. So she was kind of like my right hand and we were able to serve double the clients because there were two people working. And I saw that that was really working out well. So I brought on another person, another person. Here we are now in 2019 and now the team has grown to 16 people. Wow. And congrats. That's thank amazing. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Except I'm somebody who was a freelancer for six to eight years where it was really just me and maybe one or two other people. It was me for the first six years. And then, uh, from year six to eight, it was me and like two other people. But now I'm at the point where the team grew really fast and it is difficult to make that transition from being a freelancer, having that mindset of, Oh, I need to do this, this, this myself to now, okay, I need to delegate this. I need to do this. So I hired a project manager, but I make the mistake of thinking, oh, the project manager's in my head. She knows everything that I'm thinking. She knows how to do that, but she has a completely different skill set. So part of my issue is thinking that everybody on my team is a mind reader. And, you know, I'll, I'll send them messages, not thinking they're cryptic, and then hear back and they'll be like, what does that mean? And I wind up just doing it myself mm-hmm. where, you know, there, there must be another way. So I, I think that my my problem that I'm looking to have solved is 
pretty much how do you change that mindset of going from a solopreneur to a team player? Because also, I'm an only child. I'm the type of person when I did uh, competitive dancing, I would do solo dancing. And I only did uh, dance team one year. Like I've always done everything on my own. I'm like, uh, if you ever saw The Hangover, I'm a one woman wolf pack. Um, but I'm, <laughs> I'm learning how to actually have a wolf pack and how to have mm-hmm. a team. So that's, uh, yeah, that's, that's where we are. Well, it sounds like, a, I mean, that is a, a definitely a, a new mindset and a new outlook to take on. So it sounds like you are transitioning from being a freelancer, working on your own, doing everything on your own, knowing what you need to um, delegating and leading the charge of multiple people and not just yourself. And you're used to working for yourself, by yourself, independently, and not with within a group. Is that right? That is absolutely correct. And there's one other part to that. It's also the clients getting their mindset to change because they have known working with Mm. Marissa or working with Marissa and Sheila, but now there are other people in the mix. So it's getting them to, rather than constantly texting me about things, knowing, oh, I'm allowed to, you know, get in touch with this person or that person on the team. And that that's, that's a bit of a transition too, like, cause then they're getting used to a, a new method. So getting your clients uh, acclimated to not just reaching out to you directly, but yeah. going to the team and going kind of funneling that in. Exactly. Okay, cool. Wow. Yeah, that is a lot. With let's let's take an example. Let's 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 break it down a little bit. Can you give me an sure. example of what that looks like? Um, yeah. Of uh, going from the solo mindset to the group mindset. And you, we can start with a client situation or we could start with um, delegating to a team member. Yeah, I, I think that they'll kind of go hand in hand. So um, okay. an example is we have a new client who's been with us about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, she she gave us uh, four different accounts to, to manage, which was a lot at once because <laughs> when you get a new social media account, you have to verify it on, on your phone and your email and all these different things. So um, in my head, I know, okay, the first step to do is to verify the phone number, to hook it up to Buffer, uh, then to create the first two weeks of post to do all these things. So in my head, that's that's common sense, right? But it's not to everybody. Everybody has their mm-hmm. own method of doing it. So um, I actually, the, we just switched to Trello before then. I would just pretty much leave people voice messages like, okay, we have this new client, get them uh, get them set up. <laughs> like that's literally I would say. So um, I started setting up SOPs um, on Trello so that people know what to do. But even then, I get a lot of questions. So I have uh, what's the- an SOP? Oh, sorry. So um, the standard operating procedures. Okay, great. Okay. Yeah. Great. So basically, so that they know how to how to great. do um, what we're doing. So you know, I I even with the SOP on Trello, I put it up there and I just say, okay, do this. Um, three days go by and I find out that the phone, a phone number was never verified. So there are no posts going out onto this client's Twitter. Okay. Uh, Yeah. So I check in, I go, what happened? They go, well, I, I, uh, never heard back about the verification. So, um, I'm just waiting to hear back from them. I go, but you have to verify it, book a time with the client and and verify it. Oh, really? I, I can do that. Yes. You should contact the client. Another day goes by. What happened? Oh, um, I still didn't hear back from the client. So I email the client myself. I hear back like right away. And I'm like, really? So just like little things like that where things kind of fall through the cracks, um, you know, for so what, one reason or another. 
what happened? Why didn't, so they're reaching out to the client and the client, was the client not responding or did they reach out in a, in a, a different kind of way or? Yeah. So I think what happened was they reached out via email. I reached out via text message. I, I went mm-hmm. to the client and said, you know, what, what's, what's your cell phone number? So I texted and the text obviously went through quicker, but what was frustrating to me, I came up with that troubleshooting step to text the client. Whereas that person just kept emailing the client over and over expecting a response. And I say, well, if it's not working, you need to figure out a way to tweak it and make it work. And they weren't right. doing it. So yeah. if, if it were up to, to them, we still probably wouldn't be posting on this client's account because we would still be quote unquote waiting for them. And you Ooh. can't do that. Yeah. 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 That's a problem. It sounds like this person's like not like they're feeling a little timid or um, less empowered. So when yeah. you have the different team members, mm-hmm. are they all like little versions of you with different skill sets? Or do you have a person that's in, you said you had a project manager. Do you have like a sales team? Do you have like a, your people, people like your social people? Um, I have a few social people, uh, but a lot, a lot of them, their, their main strength is writing because we start out, you know, more as a writing focused company. So uh, writers tend to be timid by nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I would say about half of our group are introverts. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm thinking here, just right off the top, would be to have, uh, and I'm sure you already do a version of this where you have like an intake form with your clients and say, um, like, what's all your info? Best way to get a hold of you. Second best way to get a hold of you. This needs to be verified by this time. Can you do this or or something like that? Do you have a like an intake form like that? (laughs) You know, it's funny that you say that. I don't. Um, I know people who do that. Somebody on my team she would freelance uh, a lot before she was working with us and she did that and she kind of recommended that. And I said, Oh yeah, 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 we'll do that. We'll do that. We never did it. That's a, that's a really great idea. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think all these little hiccups like that, what just happened is a like, I mean, not to sound cliche, but like a blessing in disguise because it gives you the opportunity before you grow even bigger to see where the missteps are. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity to see where, um, where you can make things clearer. It's hard. I mean, it's hard to figure out like what people know and what they don't know. And it could be almost insulting to be like, did you do this when you think (laughs) it's obvious and they don't. So, um, but yeah, having like a protocol and the standard operating procedures. Like I remember I was working at this hotel in college and I worked the front desk and, this is a job. I don't think I've experienced this in any other job that I can remember, but they had like a checklist of what we were supposed to do, like from this time to this time and this time to this time. And I loved it because I knew I was doing my job and I was hitting everything. Like I love, I'm the kind of person that loves like lists and like checking things off the list. So I knew that from this time to this time, I had to call around and get the the comps and avails from the different hotels. And then I had to do this and do that. So um, I would definitely recommend having something like that for uh, an on an onboarding procedure for your um, for your new clients. Yeah, that's and, absolutely awesome. And actually, for your new employees. Hmm. Um. I don't know exactly what that would look like, uh, but maybe it would be something like, how can we get a hold of you or whatever, something like that. Yeah, your hours. You know, it's funny because one of my very first clients was somebody who at 2 a.m. 
would call me all the time and he would drive me nuts with that because he'd be like, this is an urgent thing. It needs to be done. And he was like, yeah. So I never want to do that to my team, but I found out, um, you know, we're all in different time zones. Uh, about 8% of the team is in America, but I do have one person in Pakistan and one person in, uh, actually one and a half people in Venezuela, uh, part-time and full-time. Um, and the one person in Pakistan told me over the weekend, uh, Marissa, just so you know, you know, when you keep, uh, you know, texting me and calling me, it's at night nighttime and, uh, you know, I'm getting really, really tired. I said, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And I realized I'm being that terrible client that I had. So I said, why don't you give me the times that work best for you? Like, I don't want to be that Mm -hmm. awful, you know, person to, to work with. I had, I literally had no idea. Yeah. And you got to have boundaries like that with your clients too. I briefly did some freelancing for social media and I had two clients and they drove me so insane with the demands and like when they needed to talk and how like everything was like an emergency. And it was hard to like create those boundaries, but you're, it's going to be best for both of you guys when you know what the expectations are on, on on each end. Yeah. So that's, that's a, yeah, I think that would be helpful too to get your their best working hours with you know because everyone's allowed to have time off. Especially like part of the cool thing about being a freelancer is having that flexibility and being like, we're on my time now. But <laughs> then when someone keeps coming in and invading that, and they don't know, it it could be so stressful. And then there there's like kind of like this low key resentment that starts yeah. to build, and you're it's like, what's so your problem? <laughs> And I've seen it from both ends because I've seen it being a freelancer and kind of thinking like, I'm not an employee, you know, you, you're making a lot of big demands of my time, but I don't actually say that. Like I never actually said, Hey, these are my working hours. So how could you blame them if they are reaching out to you at an odd time? Whereas at the same time, I've done that to my people where, you know, I'll be like, Hey, this is urgent. Can you do this right now? Can you do this right now? And like, it's like, Hey, that that's not cool. You know, we're, we're in a freelance relationship. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that you could do is like, I don't know what kind of um, project management software you use or if you use emails or if you guys have a group thing, but like maybe there could, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head, there could be a system where you, you email and say, uh, need a projecting uh, updated now who wants a bonus or who wants, or something where they hmm. collect points or, and, and That's that cool. sounds a little tedious because- <laughs> Uh, but whoever's who can do it the fastest gets this or something like that, some sort of incentive or who's available and maybe doesn't even need to have anything like that. That's pretty cool. We we currently use Trello. Uh, mm-hmm. We switched from Zoho to Trello, which I'm, I'm actually pretty happy with Trello. But that's a really, really cool idea. And I am learning like I think of how I would. Like, because again, I I was in the position that everybody else is in where they're freelancers. Like I was in that position. I would have loved something like that, like a little bit of competitive, you Mm. know, fun. Um, So, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And there's something else. And I think in terms of having people, people, since you didn't notice that a lot of the strengths of your um, your. I don't want to call them workers, but like your, your team uh, yeah. is that they're writers and they're in a social thing. It might help to have like a good um, social head or a, a, like a salesperson, the person that's yeah. going to be really great in talking with the clients and smoothing things over. Because I think it can be intimidating when there's like a big personality that needs stuff right away. That person needs to be managed. And I think it can oh, be hard um, from, from a, an introverted point of view or a person who's not you know, you have the front of the house people and you've got the back of the house people. Yeah. You know what I mean? 
So. Yeah, that is really true. That is one challenge I've had because I've tried to find salespeople in the past and people to be on the phone. I haven't found very many. I don't know if it's because of the remote work, people who remote work, if they tend to be more introverted or if I've just had bad luck. But um, I haven't have found that many people who, A, are comfortable being on the phone um, and B, who want to who want to do that kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think I just have to probably try harder to find those folks. Yeah, it might be in a different realm than where you're finding your your writers and that other makes other people. So it could be um, – I mean, there's whole jobs dedicated to having call centers. You know, so true. those people are out there um, yeah. and people would love that and, and thrive in that situation. Um, yeah. Okay, cool. So let's see. What do we got here? What are some takeaways that you have so far in terms of the problem of delegation? And what else can we we talk about? Um. Yeah, a lot of the time I will just say, you know, oh, well, it's going to be easier for me to just do it rather than than delegating. I might as well just do it myself. But that doesn't actually solve the problem because then the next time the problem happens, the next time it happens, the next time it happens, it's going to be the same thing that's going to keep happening. So, you know, I think it's probably just better to kind of document the process so that you don't have to keep doing it over and over and over. That's a yeah, I think that's a really, really great point. Doc mm. the process. And it seems like some of your are you still in the trenches? Are you still doing the work work, like having your own clients? Um, not really. It's it's mostly overseeing the work, but I do take a lot of client calls. So um, you know, today, for example, since nine o'clock, so nine o'clock to three o'clock, I was on calls with clients just kind of going over creative ideas, mm. uh, their, their analytics, all that. So I'm still in the trenches as far as doing phone calls with clients every single day. And, uh, in between those calls, I'm also supposed to be checking over the team's work. So I, I check over the work as well. Um, so yeah, that, that's very, very time consuming. Yeah. Yeah. The, the checking over the work or the phone calls or both? Uh, really, bo- trying to juggle both of them. If I were just doing, well, the calls, you know, that's that you can't really negotiate with. You're, you're just, you know, on the phone. But um, so that's very, very time consuming. Checking over the work is not as time consuming, but it's still pretty darn time consuming. Mm. Yeah, it seems like what's happening is that you're moving out from being um, the freelancer, like you said earlier, and you're more of the overseer which is a completely different skill. Um, Are you getting any training and coaching in that area? Only my father. Uh, My father is an amazing asset. uh, So he, he does a lot of that. But at the same time, my father is the type of person that he, so I had the four hour work week on my desk and it's one of my favorite books ever. And it's not because I take, yeah, it's, it's not necessarily though because I want to have a four hour work week. I do enjoy working. It's just, I think he gives a lot of great tips in there and he sees the tail. He goes, that's for lazy people. Why are you reading that? You know, he's, he's the type of person that works seven days a week. Um, yeah, he, he used to work 12 hour days. He works really, really, really hard. So to him, delegation, he thinks should only be done like when absolutely necessary. Otherwise it's kind of like, well, why can't you do the work? Do it. You know? <laughs> Um, uh, so that's a dangerous a, mindset because you're not serving the company or the clients when you, yeah. when you do that. And you're thinking, um, the last episode I had with, uh, Oh God, Oh my God. I can't Jennifer S Royal. She's a, a magician or, and, and a motivational speaker and a coach. And she brought up that people who are rich, 
they delegate more, they outsource more, and that gives them more energy and time to think on the business instead of being in the business and doing it because it's It's a totally different mindset. So your dad, tell him he's being lazy. (laughs) Well, I wouldn't say he's being lazy, but that could be like kind of a block where you're not seeing how how much bigger you could grow and how in different ways that you could serve, you're kind of putting blinders on there and you're a worker bee and not the queen bee. I I think he does, he does get that. Um, but at the same time it is, it's a definitely a different, um, he does, I would say a little bit of a hybrid where he has, he has plenty of his own workers as well. He understands the importance of, of a team and he knows my team and he, he gets that he's not saying, Oh, you should be doing all the work. But at the same time, um, he, he is a little bit, so here's a good example. I have, uh, people who clean my house and my mm. parents are very against that. They, they think you should, you should do that yourself. It builds character. But I say, you know, I, I would rather spend my time working on my business than cleaning the house or doing the laundry. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's that mindset. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be like a generational thing too, because it (laughs) seems, because like, it seems like such a luxury, but now we're in an age where we get things instantly and it's not the, some of the, the perks that we get are not like just for the rich now, like everyone can have them, you know, everyone can have their own driver or like food delivered or whatever. They're Mm -hmm. basically their own little chauffeur. So it's not as um, expensive and uh, I don't know, bougie. Okay. Um, all right. So yeah, easier to do it myself. And so you're going to document the process as you go through that every time that comes up and then have like, okay, here's, well, what about your right hand person? Can they, um, take care of the training for you? Uh, so I have kind of two right hand people. And the one right-hand person is so new. She's been here about a month, and I threw so much at her, and she's still kind of learning the initial processes. So I think in time, she will be able to do that, but at this point, she's still too new. And then the other right-hand person, he is incredible. He's been with us for about a year, uh, but he's going back to school. Um, so he's, he's still going to be working with us, but his hours are going to be cut because, you know, it's been his dream to be an accountant for years and years. So he's, he's doing that and, uh, we're getting less and less of him. So that, that makes things tough too. And there, yeah, that's the other thing with having a team. There are so many unpredictable factors, you know, people, people's lives changing. I just had, um, somebody who moved and, you know, we, we lost her for a few days, somebody else whose computer broke. So we had to wait for her again, new computer in, uh, just so many little unpredictable factors like that. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is a lot. And that's yeah. why it's good to have like a continuing to like build your roster of people. And then it would be great too, if you could have a person that was in charge of, uh, people. <laughs> right. Well, that that's what the, the new right hand that I hired about a month ago is going to be doing. Mm-hmm. At this point, she's still on training wheels. So <laughs> with time, okay. though, I think she'll be doing that. Okay, cool. Well, it sounds like you've thought you've thought about that, at least. I have. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I have. I think there could probably be uh, a bit more. That's the other thing. Uh, a bit more organization. I'm not the most organized person. So, you know, I bring this new person on and like I said, I just expect her to be a mind reader and to know how to, how to do everything. So it's, it's tough uh, taking a step back and going, Oh, okay. She wouldn't know how we do that or that. Hmm. 
what are what have you done to um to help with that the mind reading um to be more transparent well number one my father started kind of talking with me and he just said you know slow down you go so fast like I'm, I'm like a motor mouth I just go so fast and expect people to know but I started using loom videos to show people how to do things so they're basically like little tutorials to say okay this is how we do this this and this the, try getting people to watch those videos so that's a different story um, and then I started having the team create uh, the, the SOPs kind of detailing everything that they do so that if we ever have somebody filling in or, you know, somebody new, they can say, Oh, okay. Hi guys. And thanks again for listening to the little advice podcast. If you're having a good time, please rate, subscribe, share, and leave a review. It'll help more people find the podcast. And guess what? That's pretty cool. If you'd like to see me do comedy in person. Well, guess what? Okay, I'll tell you. I am on the TV Famous Tour right now with two really funny comics, Sophia Alexandra and Hannah Hogan. We're going to be at Peebo Sports Bar in Mill Creek, Washington on the 20th. We're going to be in Spokane, Washington on the 21st. And Riverside Golf Course in Chehalis, Washington on the 23rd. And we would love to see you. If you are having a great time again, please leave a review. And thanks again for listening to we are back several moments later. I am here with Marissa Schwartz. Hello, Marissa. Hello, Christine. It's been such a pleasure talking to you and hearing. I mean, it's so inspirational. I mean, you seem very young. I don't know how old you are, but um, to, to have, co- have accomplished all that you've accomplished and to have your own business and to even have a successful freelancing business and then now you have your own team and you've published books. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm very impressed, Marissa. Well, thank you. Um, yeah. So, uh, when you, you said you wrote a couple, you wrote a few books, you've got one book that you did when you were in high school. And then you told me that you and your mom wrote a book together and you published a few books with your own company. What is your process like in terms of coming up with a, with a book idea and then, taking that into implementation well all my books with the exception of like the the children's um ones they have been nonfiction. Mm-hmm. um I, I i like to read nonfiction. i like to write nonfiction, which is kind of funny because i am getting my doctorate in literature so um if anybody should like fiction it should be me but i i don't know i i prefer at least writing nonfiction. uh so the process is usually finding a topic that I find enjoyable enough to write at least 150 pages on. So right now I'm working on my dissertation and come up with the topic for that. Forget it. That was a really tough process, but usually it's something that I'm spending a lot of time on. It's almost like writing an SOP. So when I did the book on contest or then I wrote a book about writing, or then I wrote a book about digital entrepreneurship uh, all those things were things that I was working on in my personal life that, you know, I did every day that didn't seem that odd to me, but I knew would seem odd to others that others might want to learn from. So I just kind of wrote about what I knew. I always say like, write what you know, and Mm -hmm. um, people will respond. So was it the case that you were, um, you were writing the book while you were working on uh, contests or whatever it was, Mm -hmm. or writing, or did you do it after you had done it and say, Oh, that would have been a great book or how did you, 
How did you organize your thoughts into a book is what I'm asking. That seems so overwhelming <laughs> to me. And I know you have a book on it, so maybe I should just read that. But can you give us a little idea? Yeah. So each book was different, actually. The book on contest. So that was my whole life in the making. I always entered contests. Like if I went somewhere and they had one of those raffles, like, you know, win a, a giant stuffed animal at um, Hallmark or, you know, uh, write an essay and, and win a scholarship. Like I would enter every single one of those that I saw. And I thought that was just something that everybody did just like PayPal. I thought, oh, everybody has PayPal. Everybody enters contests all the time. And I found <laughs> out people didn't. And I found that really, really weird. Um, so I was 16 and I said, man, I guess people didn't grow up doing this. That's, that's kind of weird. Well, let me show them why this is so cool and why they should do this too. So I, I wrote a book about it and I actually wrote the book, um, you know, in, in school during a class that I in particularly care for, <laughs> not my <laughs> proudest thing, but, uh, it was a biomedical science class and I, I didn't really care about the subject or, um, and I, the teacher used to frustrate me. So I worked on the book at that point. Um, so you were just working on the book in class. <laughs> yep. Yep. And like all my classmates knew and they would just kind of chuckle like there she is. But I, I, at that point, I knew I wasn't going to become a biomedical scientist. So that was, uh, that was how I spent my, uh, 10th grade, uh, biomedical science class. Man, yeah. in 10th grade, I was like going to raves and like smoking <laughs> cigarettes in the bathroom. <laughs> So it could be worse is what I'm saying. Uh, so did you win these contests? Like I'm yeah. intrigued about this whole contest thing. Oh yeah. So I don't really enter them anymore. They're not the way that they used to be, but there was a time when magazines like teen magazines and stuff, they used to have a lot of contests and uh, some of them were, for example, um, mailing contests. So the magazine or the magazine's website would have a thing like, um, you know, win a pair of sunglasses by sending us your name, age, address, and phone number in a self-addressed stamped envelope. And my, my little trick was to always decorate the envelopes. And for some reason, people like decorate envelopes because I win a lot of those. Um, you know, I would lose more than I would win, but I would still win a lot. So maybe for every 10 contests I would enter, I would win one. And that added up. It was like a part-time job. In, That's like 10%. In yeah. In middle and elementary, middle school and high school, that was like, one of my part-time kind of job things because like I want a computer, I want scholarships. I want a lot of stuff. Uh, I want like 12 iPods and my friends were like, Hey, can you give me one? I'm like, no, I'm selling them on eBay. Um, oh my God. Yeah. So I wrote a book about that. Cause like, to me, it's just like, Oh yeah, you guys must read these cons, uh, these magazines and you must see this stuff online too. Like, but I didn't realize like I was subscribed to all that stuff. So I just saw it and Yeah. I have so many questions, but the <laughs> one that just like came up right now was, uh, how do you have the energy to do all of this? I mean, I think part of people not in entering the contest, cause it's like, eh, what's the point? And so I, I wish there was an app where you could just automatically enter a contest for you. Yeah. You know, like it just, it doesn't seem like it, it would work, but yeah. How do you have the energy and the dedication to stick with these things? Well, Is it like I a wiring thing or what? It might be a little bit of a wiring thing, but I also think a lot of people don't enter contests from, from what I understand, they think, oh, there's no way I'm going to win. But if they thought that there was a chance or a really high probability that they were going to win, I think they would be, uh, more likely to enter the contest. So 
since I won a few contests at a young age, so for example, there was this Hallmark contest when I was 10 years old where I went into Hallmark and they said, you know, fill out this little thing and you could win our big stuffed dog. And I won it. And I thought, man, that was easy. I'm going to keep entering these things. These contests really work. Whereas other people I've talked to, they entered similar contests when they were young and they didn't win. So they think, oh, they're just scams. Nobody wins those things. Mm. Um, so I think that because I had such a positive experience or many positive experiences like that, such a young age where I saw, wow, you actually can win. Um, I was more likely to, it's kind of like if you went to work every day and you might have a possibility of not receiving a paycheck, you probably wouldn't work. But you know, if you go work and you receive a paycheck, then you're going to have the energy to work because you know, you're going to get that reward. Right. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, do you play the lottery? No, that, that I don't that cause that the probability of winning that is, is so low and it's, yeah, that, that I'm not into just like gambling. I'm not really a gambler. I, I like I the free gambling. opportunities. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I, uh, have a confession. I actually just, I, I just got a new car and, um, money was a thing for me. So I entered a bunch of, I looked up online and entered a bunch of contests to try to win a car. I did not win one that I know of, but my plan was to, if I want it, sell it and get another car. Yeah. (laughs) Well, that, that's the, the, the contest world has changed thanks to social media. So when I was in middle school entering these contests, it was really hosted through, their websites and mail-in and they don't really do mail-in or or website contests as much now. It's mostly through social media. So it's a lot tougher to win. So that's why I I abandoned contests a couple of years ago. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, what about the, the other books you had a, a children's book and then what was, what was the other one? Yeah. There children, three, three more that you published through, I think Gen Z. Uh, well, yeah. No, well, actually, I first one was self-published. Then after that, I did the traditional publishing, which was just basically a memoir of... Um, Wait. Oh, a memoir of what? Uh, of my life from, you know, age like five through college, just kind of talking about things that I learned. But it was geared towards young adults. So it was kind of people in the age demographic, the things that you're going through are, you know, alone... Oh. 